The Mayday Murders is copyright 2005 by Scott Wittenberg. To learn more about this and other novels by the author, please visit scottwittenberg.com. Chapter 9 Anne stared at herself in the mirror, straightened up her hair for what seemed like the hundredth time, and glanced over nervously at the clock on her nightstand. It was 7.55. In a last-minute panic, she brushed her shoulder-length auburn locks for the last time, then carefully examined her makeup before stepping back and eyeing the rest of herself in the full-length mirror. She was wearing a plain gray skirt with a navy blue silk blouse. She realized that the outfit was a bit on the conservative side, but that had been her intention. She didn't want to look flashy on her first date with Jerry Rankin. She was nervous enough as it was, and the last thing she needed was to feel like she was being gawked at all evening. Just as she had expected, Amy hadn't bothered to ask her who she was going out to dinner with when she'd come home after school to get ready for the football game. Oddly, Anne had been a little disappointed. She would like to think that her daughter might at least be a little curious about her life once in a while. But this was typical Amy behavior nowadays, so wrapped up in herself and her own plans that her mother may just as well not exist. The doorbell suddenly rang and Anne's heart skipped a beat. She took one last look at herself and realized in horror that she looked like a middle-aged school teacher. Shrugging her shoulders in exasperation, she turned and headed down the stairs. She paused at the living room window and peeked through the curtains long enough to spot Jerry Rankin's BMW parked behind her car in the driveway. She went over to the door and opened it. Good evening, Anne, Jerry greeted. He was dressed casually, she noted in relief, wearing a tweed sport jacket, sweater, and a pair of khaki dockers. Hi, Jerry, she said nervously. Come in. Thank you, he smiled. He stepped inside and glanced quickly around the room before looking her over approvingly. You look wonderful, Anne, Anne blushed. Thanks. I wasn't quite sure how to dress. You never mentioned where you were taking me. I'm sorry, he said. But I wasn't sure what kind of food you liked, so I decided to wait and see if maybe there was somewhere in particular you'd like to go. I like all kinds of food, and as far as restaurants go, I must confess that I haven't been to all that many since moving here. In that case, how does Italian sound to you? I know of a marvelous Italian restaurant in Dublin, he offered. I adore Italian food. Then it's settled, he smiled. Your house is charming, by the way. Anne strode over to the hall closet to get her coat. Thanks. I'm still not quite done furnishing it yet. I love these older homes. I live in a relatively new house, and it doesn't have the character of this one. My neighborhood also leaves a bit to be desired. Hardly any trees, no sidewalks, and everything is so bloody new. Too new. Anne returned, carrying her coat. I'm only renting, unfortunately. I have an option to buy, though. Here, let me help you with that, Jerry offered. He took her coat, and Anne slipped into it. Is that your daughter? he asked glancing over at Amy's school picture on the mantel. "'That's my little girl,' Anne replied. He went over for a closer look. "'She's lovely. Why, she looks just like her mother,' Anne blushed again. "'Maybe after you've tacked on a few decades. You certainly don't look old enough to be mother to a teenager, Anne. It's quite remarkable.' "'Your flattery's a little overwhelming, Jerry,' Anne replied cynically. He turned and stared into her eyes, his handsome face wearing an expression of sincerity. "'I'm being quite honest, Anne.' I'm not trying to embarrass you. I tend to be very straightforward at times and say what I feel when I feel it. I hope that doesn't put you off. His tone of voice almost made it sound like an apology. 
He apparently sensed that she regarded his compliments as so much bullshit, and said, I appreciate your honesty and frankness, Jerry. It's been a long time since I've been complimented so much. I guess I'm just not used to it. You'd better start getting used to it, then. Otherwise, I'll find myself biting my tongue an awfully lot, and chuckled. I'll try to, Jerry. I'd like to meet her, he said, his eyes returning to Amy's picture. Anne replied, Unfortunately, Amy's not here right now. She's at the school football game. Maybe some other time. I'd like that. Well, shall we go? I'm ready, Anne replied, heading toward the door. Jerry followed her outside and stood by while she locked up. When they reached his car, he opened the door and waited until Anne was inside before walking around to the driver's side and getting in. Nice car, Anne commented. Thanks. I prefer sportier cars, actually, but this one accommodates my clients quite nicely. What kind of real estate do you handle? Mostly residential, a little commercial. I lean more toward the speculative market, condominiums in particular. I see. It started to drizzle and Jerry turned on the wipers. They drove several blocks in an awkward silence. Anne noticed that Jerry was tapping the steering wheel of his fingers and suddenly realized that he was probably more nervous than she was. This made her feel more comfortable for some reason. She assessed how things were going so far and had to admit that she felt fairly at ease in Jerry Rankin's company. He looked even more handsome than she remembered him looking the day she'd met him at the supermarket, and she was impressed with his impeccable manners. Sam had only opened a car door for her a handful of times in all the years they'd been married, and two of those rare occasions had been on their wedding day. Would you mind a little music? Jerry suddenly asked. No, not at all. He turned on the stereo and inserted a CD, and immediately recognized the song, Give Me Some Lovin', by the Spencer Davis Group. It's an oldies collection, Jerry explained. They don't make them like this anymore. Anne smiled at him. You can say that again. Amy plays some of the most nerve-wracking stuff imaginable. Rap music, heavy metal, and she plays it so loud. Jerry gasped. That must be dreadful. How do you deal with it? I put as much distance as possible between her bedroom and myself. He laughed. How's she doing in school? Passing by the skin of her teeth, Amy's a bright kid, but her social life takes precedence over her studies. She used to get A's and B's through middle school, but she simply doesn't apply herself anymore. I don't think she realizes it's all going to catch up with her in the end if she doesn't start shaping up. Jerry said, She'll come around, Anne. Most of the kids her age that I've worked with at church have the same problem. It's not easy becoming an adult nowadays. The old innocent days of Leave it to Beaver and Ozzie and Harriet are extinct. I think the family structure in today's society is partially to blame for a lot of this generation's problems. Divorce doesn't help much either, Anne muttered half aloud. What was that? Anne sighed. I said that divorce doesn't help matters any either. Jerry hesitated a moment, then said, Divorce is an unfortunate fact of life, but it certainly doesn't have to destroy a child's life. As long as there's plenty of love and understanding at home, they can adjust eventually. How about the theory that two-parent families are more stable for children? Anne asked. I won't argue with that. But remember, a divorce needn't be a death sentence, Anne. Many parents remarry and experience successful relationships between step-parent and child. This was something Anne had given little thought to. Are you sure you don't have any children, Jerry? I mean, you seem so well-versed on the topic. He chuckled. Then his expression turned somber. I wish I did, Anne. I really do. Marie and I tried for years to have a child, but never had any luck. We were seriously considering adoption just before she passed away. 
I'm so sorry, Jerry. It's all right. At least I still have the kids at the church, and believe me, they're quite a handful. Anne smiled and fell silent. For the first time she realized just how lonely Jerry Rankin must be, and felt sorry for him. Beneath the surface of that rugged physique and handsome, confident face beat a lonely heart. Jerry Rankin was a vulnerable soul who obviously loved kids, and sorely missed his lately departed wife. To look at him, who would ever have guessed? The restaurant was crowded when they arrived. Once they were shown to their table, they each ordered a glass of wine and began looking over the menu. After they'd given the waiter their orders, Anne stared across the table at Jerry and said, This is wonderful, Jerry. I'm glad you suggested it. The food is just as impressive as the atmosphere. If you like Italian food, this is the place to be. There's something I've been dying to ask you, Jerry. Are you English by any chance? Not hardly, he laughed. I spent several years in Europe before I got married. I met Marie in England, as a matter of fact. After we were married, I brought her back to the States, and we settled down in Cleveland, which is my hometown. Between the time spent in Europe and being around Marie all those years, I seem to have picked up a bit of an accent in the process. I'll bet I'm not the first to ask you then, am I? Anne said. No, actually you're not, he replied. Have you ever been to Europe, Anne? No, I've never been out of the continental United States. I guess you'd say I've led a sheltered existence. You really should go sometime. It's marvelous, especially France. So I've heard. The waiter came over and they ordered another glass of wine. Anne felt herself becoming pleasantly buzzed by the time their food arrived. Jerry had loosened up considerably, too. His somewhat formal way of speaking became markedly more relaxed as the evening progressed, and his dry sense of humor began to surface. By the time they'd eaten and had one more drink, the two were carrying on as though they were lifelong friends. Anne wasn't sure if it was the alcohol or Jerry's company that had put her in such high spirits, maybe a combination of both. All she knew was that she was thoroughly enjoying herself for the first time in what seemed like ages. It was raining steadily when they left the restaurant as they made a mad dash for the car. Jerry cranked up the volume on the car's stereo, and they sang to the oldies on the way back to Anne's house. When they pulled into the driveway, Anne hesitated only a moment before inviting Jerry Rankin in for a nightcap, half-heartedly stressing the fact that it was to be for only one drink, and afterwards they'd have to call it a night. Jerry happily accepted. Inside, Jerry helped Anne off with her coat and followed her to the family room. My favorite room in the house, Anne declared as she turned on the lights. It's wonderful, Jerry commented, surveying the room. Anne went over to the bar and set a pair of wine glasses on the counter. There's still a few things I'd like to do in here before it's all finished. One is to replace the old sofa and chair. I've had them both for a couple of eons. Jerry joined her at the bar. Need any help with that? he asked, just as Anne pulled the cork from the wine bottle. Anne shook her head, poured them both a glass, and handed one to Jerry. Thanks, he said, as he followed Anne over the sofa and sat down beside her. He eyed the romance novel lying on the coffee table curiously and picked it up. Are you reading this? Anne blushed and giggled. Yes, I must confess, I'm a real sucker for a good love story. I didn't mean to embarrass you, Jerry said. I've heard that you can tell a lot about a person by what he reads. I, for instance, like a good crime story, especially the ones based on actual events. I guess you could say I'm a sucker for intrigue and suspense. Anne laughed. For a moment there, I thought you were going to tell me that you were a criminal. He chuckled. I feel like a criminal sometimes when I land a big, juicy real estate deal. I take it you're doing pretty well, Anne said. I certainly can't complain. I'm trying not to let the money overwhelm me, however. 
I like to live comfortably, but not too extravagantly. I've never been a flashy person. I'm really glad to hear that, Anne said. I have one weakness, though. I love the great outdoors, and that's my excuse for the country retreat I just purchased last spring in Hocking County. It's an A-frame nestled in the foothills, complete with a pond and forty acres of nothing but trees and wildlife. Sounds nice, Anne said. It's beautiful. Maybe you'd like to see it sometime. Anne spoke before thinking. I'd like that. Great. Perhaps we could swing down that way some weekend before winter sets in. Well, let's just wait and see how things go in the meantime, Jerry. For the second time that night, Anne caught the faint glimpse of hurt in his eyes, which he promptly attempted to cover up. He said, I'm sorry, Anne. I didn't mean to be so pushy. Please forgive me. It's okay, Jerry. I just don't want to jump into anything right now. And I understand completely, he said with a shrug. I guess I was jumping the gun a bit. Anne didn't like seeing him like this. She wished now that she had been a little more tactful. I hope I haven't scared you off by that last comment of mine. What I really meant to say was I don't want to rush things. I really have enjoyed this evening, Jerry, and I hope we can get together again. Soon. Jerry Rankin leaned toward her. I'm really happy to hear you say that, Anne. I feel a lot better suddenly. My problem is that I get a little carried away sometimes and end up sounding incredibly presumptuous. Anyway, I've enjoyed myself as well. You're a lovely lady and lots of fun. So let's make it a point to go out again soon and just take one step at a time, okay? He offered, tipping his wine glass toward her. All right, we'll just do that, Anne declared, tipping his glass. They both took a sip and Jerry said, So how do you usually spend your weekends? Anne replied with a frown. Housework mostly, and running errands. Does Amy help you out any? She laughed. You've got to be joking. I can't even get her to keep her room looking halfway decent, much less getting help of her with the rest of the house. She's a hopeless case in that category, I'm afraid. And I suppose you can't somehow make her give you a hand? Like threatening to cut off her allowance or grounding her? I've tried everything, believe me. She's incorrigible. I don't like fighting, and we get into a quarrel every time I try to discipline her. So I've all but thrown in the towel. I just don't seem to have any control over the child anymore. Does she mind her father? Oh, yes, at least she used to. But she was a year younger, and Sam and I were still together. I'm not so sure she'd even mind him now, if he was still in the picture. It's amazing how much difference a year can make, isn't it? You can say that again, Anne replied. Just then the telephone rang. Anne stood up and went over to the wall phone behind the bar. Hello? There was nothing but silence on the other end. Hello? Anne repeated. Suddenly, she heard heavy breathing. At first, Anne thought that whoever was on the other end might be hurt or in trouble. Perhaps even Amy. Who is this? she asked uncomfortably. Then a hoarse voice wheezed. I'm going to fuck you. You what? Anne blurted, then slammed down the receiver. What was that all about? Jerry asked. Anne's back was still facing him as she struggled to compose herself. Just a crank call, she finally answered. She turned and saw the concerned look on Jerry's face. You're white as a sheet, Anne. He stood up and ran over to her. Who was that on the phone? He demanded. Who was that on Anne wasn't sure why she felt so helplessly terrified right at that moment. Perhaps it was due to the hideous manner in which the caller had breathed those awful words, and the fact that it was still giving her goosebumps. Or maybe it was because she now realized for the first time just how mortified she was of living alone in this house with her teenage daughter in a strange town and not having Sam around to protect them. All she was really sure of was that there was a man there now and that she was grateful beyond words. 
God, Jerry, she moaned, burying her head in his chest. Jerry put his arms around her as she felt herself trembling uncontrollably in his embrace. Anne felt the urge to cry in her frustration, but willed herself not to. Instead, she closed her eyes and allowed herself to be held securely in Jerry's arms until she finally calmed down enough to face him. Thanks, Jerry, she said weakly. His eyes were filled with concern and passion as he said, What happened, Anne? Anne looked away a moment and then replied, It was an obscene phone caller. He said that he was going to, you know, do it to me. God, it was awful, she cried. I'm so stupid. I should have hung up the moment I heard him breathing, just as I told Amy to do. He's called before? Anne nodded slowly. Last weekend, in the middle of the night. Jerry led Anne over to the sofa and motioned for her to sit down. He talked to your daughter that way? Yes, Anne replied, draining her wine glass dry. He said the same thing to Amy. I'll be honest, Jerry. I'm scared to death. Not only have we been getting obscene phone calls, but I thought I heard a prowler in the backyard Saturday night. And to top it all off, I just heard from my ex-husband that the man who murdered my best friend a couple of weeks ago also murdered another woman that I went to high school with, in New York City, no less. Jerry Rankin was clearly flabbergasted by all of this. Hold on a minute here. What's this about your friend being murdered? Is this the same woman you were referring to when we spoke on the phone? Anne nodded. Yes, Marcia Bradley. She was raped and strangled in her home back in Smithtown. She had a little six-year-old. Anne burst into tears. Jerry put an arm around Anne and tried to console her. Moments later, she managed to get a hold of herself. I'm sorry, she said. I guess I just haven't gotten over it yet. I understand, Anne. I know how difficult it is to lose a loved one, he said softly. I'm sorry I told you all this, Jerry. I should have kept it to myself. Now I've done his room what up until now has been a beautiful evening. He bent down and kissed her lightly on the cheek. Listen, Anne, I'm glad you told me about this. You did the right thing by getting it off your chest. As for ruining our evening, we don't have to let that happen if we don't want to. We're still together, aren't we? Thanks for being so understanding, Jerry. Next time, we won't let anything spoil our date. I promise. There now. That's the spirit. His expression suddenly turned grave. And I'm very concerned about all this. Have you spoken to the police about this prowler and the phone calls? Yes. They suggested that I get an unpublished phone number if the calls persist, and told me that they'd keep an eye on the house. Until tonight, the only other time he'd call was last Saturday. Well, you should go ahead and get a new phone number as soon as possible, then. Nip this off at the bud before it gets out of hand. I suppose you're right. I'll call the phone company on Monday. Now, I want to say something else, and it's very important, Anne. If you ever, and I mean ever, need me for anything at all, you call me, okay? I'll be there for you, any time, any day. Will you promise me you'll do that? His voice was emphatic, almost forceful. I don't want to bother you with my problems, Jerry, Anne said. Please, Anne, don't shut me out. I want to help you in any way I can. As a friend, if nothing else, let me help you he persisted, and smiled, grateful and relieved at Jerry's offer. Okay, Jerry, that's very kind of you. Do I have your word on it? And nodded. Yes, you have my word. Excellent. Now, what's this about your friend? Do you feel like you can talk about it? Talking helps, you know. Anne sighed and took a deep breath. Marcia was my best friend. We practically grew up together. She was the kindest, most outgoing person you could ever know. Anyway, she was found murdered in her home one night by her husband, Dave. 
She had been raped and strangled to death. Her little boy, Tommy, was found upstairs, locked in a closet, so terrified that he still hasn't been able to speak to anyone since. The police are totally stumped and don't have a clue as to who did it. Anne swallowed hard before she continued. This afternoon, Sam called me. He told me that the police in New York City have just confirmed that a woman who was found murdered there a few weeks ago was murdered by the same person who had killed Marcia. The woman, Sarah Hunt, used to live in Smithtown and had been a casual acquaintance to both Marcia and I back in high school. Jerry's eyes widened. Good Lord, Anne! No wonder you're so concerned. Do you think there might be a connection between these murders? A common motive? That's what's been so baffling and frightening. There haven't been any motives established in either of the murders, according to Sam. And I guess the police in New York are just as stumped as the local police in Smithtown are. And no one ever saw the murderer in either instance? Apparently little Tommy Bradley is the only one who might have seen who killed his mother. As for Sarah Hunt, Sam indicated there hasn't been any leads in her case either. That's incredible. This character must be as clever as he is deranged. Do you think you're in danger? Anne shook her head in frustration. I don't know, Jerry. Sam is worried about me, of course, but that doesn't surprise me. He's always had an overactive imagination. That's probably from his being a journalist. I'm more realistic than he is, and I honestly can't think of any way I could possibly be involved in any of this. Marcia just happened to be my best friend, and I barely knew Sarah Hunt. My relationship ends there. It is frightening, though, and it really makes one think just how vulnerable we are nowadays. Until this bastard is caught, no one is really safe. Jerry fell silent a moment as he took Anne's hand in his. Then he said, I'm here for you, Anne, and I just want you to remember that. I don't feel too good about all of this, to be quite honest, and I don't like the fact that you and Amy are living here all by yourselves. So please don't hesitate for one moment to call me if anything suspicious occurs. I know I'm being a bit redundant, but I want to be able to leave here tonight assured that you'll call me if you need me. Anne smiled warmly. I will, Jerry, I promise. She leaned over, kissed him on the cheek, and said, I'm afraid we're going to have to call tonight, though. I think I drank a little bit too much wine. I'm suddenly feeling very sleepy. Jerry stood up. I could use a little shut-eye myself. I worked out at the gym this afternoon, and it's starting to catch up with me. He followed Anne to the living room and turned to face her at the front door, his eyes showing regret for having to leave her. He put his arms around her waist and said, Take care, Anne. Do you mind if I call you tomorrow? No, not at all, she replied. Thanks, Jerry, for everything. I had a wonderful time. So did I. He balked for a moment, obviously deciding whether or not to kiss her. Anne stood for what seemed a very long time before he finally brought his lips to hers. The kiss was brief and tentative, much like her very first kiss when she was in junior high school. Good night, Anne. I'll see you tomorrow. And remember, I know, Jerry, you have my promise. Jerry Rankin turned and made his way to the BMW. Anne waited until he had backed out of the driveway before closing the door. She heard him toot his horn as he pulled away, and it dawned on her that she regretted his leaving a lot more than she cared to admit to herself. For more information about the Mayday Murders and other books by the author, please visit scottwittenberg.com. Thanks for listening.